Welcome to our podcast, Big Tobacco Messed with the Wrong Moms by Parents Against Vaping E-Cigarettes or PAVE. My name is Dorian Furman. I'm Meredith Berkman and we're the wrong moms. And today we have with us Dr. Rachel Boykin, a pediatrician who is going to discuss her take on the youth vaping epidemic and how we can help protect our kids. This is actually a special edition of our podcast meant to support our campaign called Back to School, Not Back to Jewel. Between now and September 9th, under federal court order, the Food and Drug Administration, FDA, must announce whether or not it will approve millions of applications that have been filed by flavored e-cigarette companies for their products, including, most notably, Jewel. We cannot let any of those flavored products get approved because as we all know, and as Dr. Boykin will discuss, flavors hook kids and kids are drawn to flavored e-cigarette products. We have put together an online campaign. We would love for you to join us in signing our letter to the FDA. We have thousands of parents who have already signed, but we need your voice to But before we hear our conversation with Dr. Boykin, let's listen to a short audio clip from one of our new parent testimonial videos that we've put on social media as part of our Back to School, Not Back to Jewel campaign. So take a listen. My daughter was 15 and a sophomore in high school when she first tried vaping with some girlfriends at school. My son, Walker, was 19 when he was hospitalized. She's been addicted to the Juul products since she was about 13, 14 years old. My son in the past year has visited five different friends in the hospital, all from vape-related complications. Please tell the FDA now is the time to put our children's health over the profits of big tobacco and say no to Juul's marketing order. So this is the time for the FDA to put an end to Juul's relentless betrayal of our teen patients. Thank you. Now let's get to our conversation with Dr. Rachel Boykin. On today's episode, we are so thrilled to have with us Dr. Rachel Boykin, a clinical professor at the Department of Pediatrics of the Renaissance School of Medicine at Stony Brook University. She is the education chair for the American Academy of Pediatrics section on nicotine, tobacco prevention and treatment. She's also a very strong advocate for protecting the public health of children and specifically for speaking out about the dangers of youth vaping and in this context, the issue of the predatory behavior of big tobacco. Last but certainly not least, Dr. Boykin is the mother of a college freshman as so am I. And so I, I'm going to assume over the course of our conversation, we will understand that this is not only a professional issue for her, but a personal one. Rachel, thank you so much for joining us today. It's really my pleasure to be here. Thank you, Meredith. Thank you. So let's just jump right in. I mean, one of the the, the reasons that we wanted to have you on this, on this podcast are that there are many, but we talk a lot about this campaign we've just launched. We call it Back to School, Not Back to Jewel. And it is focused on our urging, along with many of our public health partners, of course, urging FDA to do the right thing. Do you think that FDA should be approving menthol jewel or any flavored tobacco product? And if not, why? 
Well, uh, absolutely not. They should not be approving these applications. Um, we have really good data that menthol, which is a flavor, people sometimes like to think of it as a separate entity, but menthol is a flavor, um, is appealing to kids and has been appealing to kids uh, for a number of reasons. Uh, first of all, we know that all flavors appeal to kids. Um, and there has been some progress with the removal of the fruity flavors and the dessert flavors that uh, we think of as being kid friendly. But uh, what we've seen first uh, with the remo removal of those flavors um, from cigarettes in 2009 under the Tobacco Control Act was that kids uh, shifted to menthol because it was the only available flavor. And we've seen that now with some more recent data that um, as, for example, the, the fruity and dessert flavors in Juul have been taken off you know, become less unavailable, at least in Juul, um, for kids that they are, they switch first to mint flavor, which was available, and then to menthol. So we know that if menthol is there, they will be using it. Um, there's, there's other concerns about menthol, which is that it, it has been heavily marketed by the tobacco industry to kids and other um, vulnerable groups because they know that menthol makes it easier to use these products. It, 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 it essentially anesthetizes the, the airways so that it makes it smoother. I mean, inhaling tobacco is actually not that, um, not that pleasant an experience. And so if it becomes easier to do, then it's more pleasant and will be continued. And that's really the, I, I think, is really the, uh, the reason that menthol has, um, at least in my circles, really been perceived as really deadly because it, it helps people initiate um, use of these products. And um, once you've initiated, the problem is they're so addictive, it's really hard to stop. And so it opens the door for a situation that becomes almost like a, a you know, a, a big ball rolling down a hill. It's almost impossible to stop it. I also want to understand from you the harms. I mean, you are seeing patients, you're seeing patients who are, who have been hospitalized. What are the effects that you yourself as a doctor, as a scientist have seen from these flavored products? So the caveat is I can't say that the effects I've seen are from the flavors themselves, because again, what we, what we know at the flavor is sort of at a, at a, at a uh, animal model level in terms of the, you know, the exact effect on the cells, but in terms of the clinical effects. So obviously Evoli is one of them. And while yes, during the Evoli epidemic, it seemed like the biggest player in that was the vitamin E acetate and association with marijuana. Um, I think the jury is still out. Um, I think there may be other factors. I think that there is probably a sort of a subclinical entity. There are pretty good data now that um, people, the kids who use e-cigarettes have increased risk of respiratory symptoms that may not even land them in the hospital. So the ones that I see are the ones who've been sick enough to be in the hospital. Um, we have certainly continued to see cases of Evoli after the epidemic sort of died down. That was the CDC stopped tracking it in February of 2020. We kept seeing it in the hospital. Um, it's It looks ironically almost just the same as COVID and it's become kind of hard to tease it out. Um, and of course, it the question is still there, you know, does e-cigarette does e use make COVID infection worse? Um, there's some data suggesting that there it 
it, it probably does. And again, going back to the science, it would make perfect sense. We know that smoking makes COVID infection worse. And we know that anything you inhale damages your airways and your lungs. And so anything that's going to need good lungs to recover like COVID is going to be you know, it would say it would make sense. When we talk about the Ivali epidemic, the CDC stopped tracking those cases on a weekly basis, the Ivali cases as of February 2020, as they began obviously focusing on COVID. I've heard CDC officials say that wasn't the reason they were going to scale it back anyway, but whatever, for whatever reasons, they were no longer tracking them. We have had since then dozens and dozens of reports, both internally, people who've come to us, but also um, tracking through media reports in different states. So while the epidemic, the quote epidemic of Ebali may have receded, it is also possible that it's more that the media coverage of the Ivali epidemic has receded. And since no one is tracking the cases, I guess that's something we will have to wait for the science, right, to know a little more about. What I think is interesting with Ivali is that, you know, the CDC did a great job of tracking it. And, you know, those of us taking care of these these patients across the country, you know, we did our best and we sent in samples and, you know, there was a, there was a lot of very specific information to the point where, you know, this mystery, this mystery illness was um, very quickly identified with vitamin E acetate, which I think, again, was probably the strongest player in there, but recognize that the ability to make those associations is dependent on the information you have at hand. So when I have a kid in the hospital, First of all, not every kid admits to vaping. So it depends, that goes back to how do we screen? How do we identify it? That's a whole nother discussion, but kids don't wanna necessarily talk about it. By the time they're that sick, usually we're pretty skilled that we get a good conversation. We, we get them to finally disclose what they're doing. But unless they happen to have the product with them, which some of them do, but not all, then number one, we have nothing to send to the CDC. So there's lack of data there. We don't know what they were, they don't really know exactly what they were using. Sometimes they share with their friends. So it's very, you know, I, I think an important point is it's very hard to study at a, at a clinical level, the effects of these products. You know, a cigarette is a discrete thing and it's always the same. An e-cigarette is evolving as we speak and it has so many moving parts that are not regulated at this point and that have so many components. When we try to figure out what are the things that are causing these illnesses, it's kind of hard because we have some information and we do the best we can, but we only have what we have. So looking at the clinical picture as a clinician, some of the studies that interest me the most are the ones where I see kids showing, there was a study that was done, it was published in the New England Journal of Medicine um, a year or two ago, right after you know the Ivali um, epidemic, I'll call it that, because that's when it really hit the, you know, hit the media. Um, they looked back and saw that kids were, were presenting at hospitals uh, and young adults were presenting at hospitals with respiratory symptoms. Uh, and they were associated with e-cigarettes. Most of them were not getting admitted to the hospital at that point, but that's where there's, where I think it's interesting. We now have associations with, um, you know, with symptoms and the use of these things, what, whatever form of these things are being used. Um, and so I think we have to be very careful not to jump to conclusions about what is and isn't associated and recognize the limitations of what we're able to study at this point. And then go back to the science, go back to the, the in vitro studies and the animal models, which go back to what we, 
what we know about the human body and what we know about toxins. And if it makes sense, then even if we don't have the study in humans yet, we should be paying attention to it. Something like oxidative stress, which causes damage to cells, which can lead to cancers and can lead to atherosclerosis and heart attacks, all that kind of stuff is pretty serious. Just because we don't have the end result yet doesn't mean we shouldn't be mindful of the likelihood when we see those kind of data in, you know, even though it's not human data um, from some of these more controlled experiments, because they can control it in the lab because they can use standardized kinds of things. The name of this campaign that we're focused on the FDA action is back to school, not back to Juul. And one of the reasons we call it that is because we have enormous concerns that as kids are heading back to some form of in-class learning, and there are already states in this country where we're seeing that. And of course, there's a whole separate, um, you know, loud debate conversation about masking versus not masking, obviously. But kids are going back into the classrooms. And there is obviously a level of elevated stress that has been written about and talked about, you know, in terms of the the post-COVID effects. So if you have the combination of kids going back into the classroom, elevated anxiety. And I think that the data does show that there is some connection between use of tobacco products and youth and anxiety. And then you throw in, unfortunately, the, the, you know, the surging Delta variant. Um, we're very concerned that there will be a huge surge of kids using vape products. What are your concerns? First of all, I'm, I'm very grateful that they're going to go back to school because I think kids need to go back to school. They need, they need, it's very clear that they need to be learning in person, but, um, you know, school was a place two years ago when this crisis hit its worst, when almost 30% of high school students were vaping, uh, regularly that school was a place where they, where they were doing it, where they were, um, getting it, where they were, you know, sharing with their friends and, um, you know, we could go into that, which, you know, I think is, um, we could go back to that. I, I don't, it's nobody's, I don't think we have good data on what happened in lockdown, but some people might say, well, the numbers went down to, you know, one in five instead of one in four, over one in four. Um, so maybe that's because they weren't in school, or maybe it's because of all the advocacy we've done. I don't know. I would hope it's because of the advocacy we've done, but I do think we are at risk when we get back into that situation um, for, for kids to have that kind of access and that kind of socialization. Um, and I think as, uh, as, a, as a mother, of course, I'm worried as a pediatrician, um, it's been all that we've been talking about in my circles um, at this point, aside from masking, because I think it's, it is that important. Um, and then, of course, we know that anxiety is plays a role, and we know that there's there's been a lot of um, attention, appropriate attention given to the anxiety, I think, that teens have gone through in the last year and a half. Um, and while I think it's wonderful they're going to go back to school, I, I don't think it's without the stress um, that, that's, you know, that continues to be, you know, present with the COVID, you know, pandemic and so forth, and the fact that we are still navigating uncharted territories. So um, I think schools are looking at, hopefully looking at this as something they need to be armed to deal with. But I think we, you know, we can be advocates as parents, um, as, 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 you know, uh, public health organizations like the American Academy of Pediatrics, we've done, a, we've done a lot of work. But the bottom line is, if we could just get these things 
unavailable, then there wouldn't be anything. I mean, at least not that aspect of it. We wouldn't have to worry, you know. So um, we know that one of the strongest public health measures we can take is to decrease the availability of products that um, that we know are appealing to kids. I don't think there's anything you can say beyond that. And that's why um, we uh, we seem to be very much in agreement uh, that it is, first of all, it's never been more important than now to protect the the health of our kids developing lungs, right, in the context of, of uh, a respiratory pandemic. And it's never been more important for FDA to take this long delayed action to take all of these flavored products off the market. If the federal government doesn't take that action, I really fear for how we will ever get a handle on this adolescent public health crisis. Um, once that happens, isn't it that then we can finally get to dealing with all of these kids who have become addicted to nicotine and who have suffered health harms? How do we get to that when we're still fighting to get rid of the products? It seems oh. like it's an impossible battle. This has to be the first step. I mean, I think we have to, we, we're trying to do everything at once. I think because you can't pick and choose, like we have to help people, we have to help these kids quit, but it would be really nice to, um, I, well, I think removing, of course, removing the flavors would, would help people quit. Um, and we know that that happened when we look at the removal of flavors from the Tobacco Control Act, aside from menthol, people did quit. Those who didn't went to menthol, but um we know that that's an action that can help people quit um, in conjunction with other things that we can do to support those quitting efforts. But the other huge piece of it, of course, is looking at the younger kids who are, I, we all see the writing on the wall. If it's available, they're gonna keep using it. And so we need to remove it to prevent uptake. So it's two things at once um, that I think, um, you know, along with all the other efforts we're making, to help kids through these really tough times. What else would you tell parents? I mean, you, you made reference to parent education and parent advocacy is at the core of our mission and our, our organization. What would you say directly to parents, both as a pediatrician and as a parent yourself? What do you think would be most important for parents to do in this moment before September 9th, but going forward, whatever happens to protect our own kids and to fight for everybody else's kids? What would you tell us to do? So I think parents need to understand what e-cigarettes are and how dangerous they are. Because I think the studies have shown, and we did a, some focus groups and learned this as well, that parents um, don't seem to really understand. Um, and, and I think that's really important. The kids recognize that, that their parents seem not to be as educated as they'd like them to be. And so kids want guidance from their parents, even if they butt heads sometimes, they want guidance. Um, and so parents, number one, need to understand the situation. Number two, they need to talk to their kids. They need to be open. They have to recognize if you find out that your kid is using one of these products, um, it's not necessarily their fault and they can't necessarily just stop it. And they shouldn't just be punished. They should be helped. They probably have an addiction. Uh, we know that about so many of these behaviors, but I, I think the, the quick version is um, know what you're dealing with. And, and be open with your kids and then be an advocate, get involved, go to the school board meetings, help the school, partner with your school to help the, you know, help change what you can while you can um, at your local level. 
I think that's great advice. I would say to anyone who is listening to go to our website, parentsagainstvaping.org and join us. That is exactly what we do. We want to empower parents like us to, to take action. Well, Dr. Rachel Boykin, I am so grateful for your joining us today and for your expertise. And of course, most of all, for your advocacy and your passion for, for protecting the public health of our children overall and specifically in the face of this public health crisis. So thank you so much. And we have a lot of work to do and I hope we will continue to do it as partners. Thank you. I, I, I completely agree. And thank you for, for letting me speak on this important podcast and keep up your great work. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening today. And just a reminder, click on to our website, parentsagainstvaping.org, and there will be a pop-up box, which will take you to our letter to FDA. Please make your voice heard and tell FDA, do not approve any flavored e-cigarette product and protect our kids from nicotine addiction.